Welcome back to Digital Kill the Radio Star. This is David. As always, I'm here with my buddy Chris on the phone. Chris, how are you doing today? Man, no complaints. How about yourself? Uh, I've had a, a relaxing day. I had the day off, so um, can't complain there. Um, I do want to tell everybody before we get started to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, on Facebook at Digital Kill the Radio Star. You can subscribe to us via iTunes or SoundCloud, uh, video, uh, Digital Killed, uh, the Radio Star podcast. Sorry, I had a little slip up there. And uh, on our Instagram account, Digital Killed, the Radio Star. And I do want to tell everybody that uh, the band that we had on last week, Under the Radar, uh, released their debut full-length album this week called So Alive. So if you get a chance, you can go on iTunes right now and buy it. I highly suggest it. And uh, Chris, I don't know about you, but I was I was very impressed talking to those guys last week. Yeah, nice guys, man. I I, uh, I think they got a good chance at doing something, and so I hope they stay as as nice and humble as they are right now because man you, you talk about you talk about kids because let's face it we're calling them guys because we're trying to be cool to them and all but let's face it they're kids and for kids to be that talented and not be you know snotty those kids and have you know egos it was it was refreshing i mean they were as polite as kids can be and man just really talented musicians i played um my buddy Mike, we always talk about that, you know, is just an insane guitarist. I played him just, it's like, hey, dude, check this out. And I played the, the song Boom, and I and played about a minute of it, and then I just fast-forwarded to the guitar solo. And again, Mike is known in, in Memphis as one of the best guitarists. He heard that solo, and he went, man, you said that kid's 13? I said, yep. He went, man, that's impressive. You know, I mean, he, he was like, that, that kid's good. Yeah, he really is. The the all of them are. I was looking on YouTube and they do um, Rush's uh, YYZ, and I mean, <laughs> most adults are scared to tackle a Rush song, much less uh, you know junior high kids. Yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you like you said they all are. You know, that, let's let's not take anything from drums and bass. I mean, they're they're all good. They're all talented musicians, and uh, think they have a bright future. I think they do too. So maybe in the future we can tell everybody that we were their first podcast, uh, which would be cool. Well, this week we're going to uh, have a sh- little bit shorter than normal episode, but we'll make it up for you guys uh, in the future. Uh, I do want to tell everybody if you if you're listening to us in the Mid South area, the uh, Rock Haven concert is this weekend, and Chris and I will be attending to see uh, Under the Radar, uh, Every Mother's Nightmare. Roxy Blue, Tor Tor, and Brett Michaels. And uh, I went to a concert last night. Chris went to a concert a couple of days ago. So what we're going to do in our next podcast is we're going to recap those shows that uh, that we have seen and that we are going to see. So that'll be a fun episode for everyone. So this week we had kind of a it's the first time we've re- done a podcast like this. We're going to talk about two of the biggest albums of the last uh, really 30, 35 years by the same band. U2's The Joshua Tree and Octoon Baby. Uh, when you think about uh, U2, those are usually the two albums that most people uh, are going to draw on as um, their two best albums. Chris, how did you get into uh, U2? Do you, do you remember, was it early on or did you they grow on you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for, I mean when you think about for from an age perspective, because I don't think anybody that's in early elementary school was going to be listening to, to Boy. You know, I mean, I'm sure it happened, but 
boy or October. So, you know, because they were still pretty much kind of flying below the radar at that time. But they, it was, I guess it was, well, the first one that I, the first album I had was the cassette of uh, the Joshua Tree. And it was at the time of its release. So, you know, I was, that album comes out in 87. That's around the time I got into them. So pretty early on. My first memory of them was on, um, I guess it was Friday night videos. And uh, as we like to talk about around that time, you know, it was Poison and Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue were dominating the videos. And I forget, it was maybe where the streets have no name or with or without you, I can't remember. And Bono's just walking around and has the big hat on his head. And I was just like, man, this music's too mellow. I mean, these guys, I mean, what are they trying to do here? This guy's got this big hat on and, you know, their music doesn't rock. <laughs> and uh, it was a, a year or two after that, I guess, where I started to have some appreciation for uh, for them. You know, they're kind of interesting in that they're very, very popular, but they're also very, very polarizing, especially yeah. uh, especially with some of the missteps of the last few years that they've had. But I find that, you know, we talked about Tom Petty having this universal acclaim. You too cannot say that. A lot of people that that uh, listen to a lot of hard rock and metal don't like them. You know, think they're they're weak. And then, you know, the, most of their music is is at, at the very least somewhat political. And you know, of course, in this day and age, uh, you can make anybody mad over anything. But they and they do have had times where you know they came across kind of pompous and arrogant, which um, I I probably would be too if I had the success that they have. Yeah, and I, and I do know some people, just like you're talking about, where they're kind of polarized, and I do know some people that absolutely hate them. And I guess it was it's kind of, it's probably a little, kind of a little bit surprising even to myself when I think that I did like them back in around 87, because like you said, the, the, st- the style of music that we've made so clear that you and I listen to um, just didn't fit in with that, and I always did like it, and, and there were a few of those bands that I liked. You know, I wasn't diverse back then. Never, I'll never claim to be, but there there were a few, and this was this was one of them. And you know, I don't know why it. You know, listening to something like, you know, still you know, still found where I look, what I'm looking for, how that would fit in for somebody who liked Wildside, Motley Crue, but right? It worked for me. Yeah, well, they definitely have a. Um across you know uh, they they appeal to a lot of different demographics but yeah polarizing band for whatever reason so we're going to what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the joshua tree we're going to talk about octung baby and at the end chris and i are going to pick which one we think uh is the best so uh hopefully uh you'll agree with me at the end of uh the episode so a few facts here chris on the joshua tree it sold 25 million albums uh, it had two number one singles, With or Without You, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. One Grammy for Album of the Year and Best Performance by a Duo or Group. And when I was researching the album, uh, Bono and The Edge became interested in Americana roots music and Irish roots music. And uh, he said he spent the day with Keith Richards and uh, Mick Jagger, and they were really introducing him to the American blues. And he said he was embarrassed that he didn't know anything about it, that all he had listened to was punk music. So they uh, tried to change their sound a little bit. And, if you know, if you listen to their earlier albums, um, 
the Joshua Tree definitely sounds a little more mature uh, sonically than those albums did. But 25 million albums is uh, is a lot. Um, and Chris, I'm so glad they decided not to do this. It was almost a double album, and one album would have been, one album would have been what we know of as the Joshua Tree, and the other one would be a blues album. And um, you can definitely they record that? Did they record the blues album? I, I I could not just I could not pin anything down that they really had anything recorded or if that was just what they wanted to do. But that would have been I, I don't I'd have to hear it. Yeah, but I, I just wondered if they recorded it because that'd be something to be cool if they would, you know, release someday. You know, uh, especially if you think about it now, because what I, I just now thought of this, but I guess thirty thirtieth anniversary would be this year, right? Um, be cool if they were to release a package like that, and if if that album is, is if it exists. Well, one of the out. I'd like to hear it. One of the songs that that would have been that got left off the album was uh the sweetest thing do you remember that one i do yeah that one got left off and that i think um that was an example of one that they thought um um they wish they'd put on there but bob i got bob dylan van morrison and robbie robertson were all influences on the album so if you that covers a lot of uh american influence style music even though van morrison's not american he was definitely into the uh a lot of folk and country music so um Chris, it was recorded in Ireland for the most part, and uh, let's see what else I have here before we start going through the songs. Um, I just think it's a, a a very good album, and it's you know we talked we've talked about this about other albums. It's remarkable that it sold as well as it did, considering the environment of the uh, uh, with the 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 taste that the consumers had going at that time, and what was deemed as popular on mtv and uh at the record store yeah yeah i mean definitely i mean 25 million that's uh that's insane i didn't realize it. i actually didn't even realize it won grammy of the uh, album of the year it's that, that back to the days when good albums won album of the year right and actual musicians but that's for exactly the, that's for yeah. another uh another podcast we'll do one on that but yeah, with or without you, still haven't found what I'm looking for from a from a popular perspective. That's what I always think. Most people think of the album as those two songs, you know. And those videos were everywhere. Uh, they really, um, really saturated MTV and anybody else that would show uh, a video. So yeah, yeah, those. Uh, I mean, those were. I mean, I mean, man, those those were played so. So often, you know, constantly on MTV, especially, um, well, what was it? Uh, I'm trying to think of, is the one, I'm trying to think of the video of With or Without You. I can't, I, I get, I get it kind of confused with still haven't found one. Because it showed for. a lot of close-ups of him, I, I believe, of, of Yeah, Bono. yeah. So what, what do you think are the positives and the negatives of the album? Um... You know, it's gonna, I know you said we're going to pick our which ones we like the best at the end, and I, I, I'm not going to say which one I like the best now, but I think it's through these discussions, you'll obviously be able to figure it out, anybody listening, because when it comes to the negatives, I don't really have them, because 
Now, if I'm going to put this album on right now, and I or say tomorrow, I put it on, could I possibly just start skipping tracks? Yeah, of course. Do I need to? No. I don't. There's not a track that I think needs to be skipped. There's not one on here that I dislike. There's not one on here that, oh, God, I just heard that too many times. And we've talked about these kind of songs before. It's easy for a song to become so popular that you almost hate it. You know, and you just, but I, for whatever reason, this, this album didn't do that. If, if, if that did, if, I mean, I'd say the closest thing to it might be I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I do still enjoy the song, and I could put it on right now and enjoy it. But you know that. So that's as far as as far as what I dislike. Not really anything. But what I what I love on it though, some of the some of the deeper tracks on it, which is common with any album I love. You know, deep tracks a lot of times are some of the best songs. And you know, Red you know, Red Hill Mining Town, Mothers of the Disappeared. Trip through your wires. I mean, those God, those are such good songs. Um, no, I mean, I just, I just think it's a, it's a solid album. One of the, I mean, one of the few albums that is very, very, very much worth it, the critical acclaim that it gets. I, I agree with you. It's, uh, it's not hard to listen to it all the way through. I do think that it's somewhat top heavy and not, not necessarily in the order that the, that the songs appear. I, I believe the ones that are really good are, are I have, I have four or five star songs on here, which is a lot for, you know, like an 11 song album. But, um, when I, when I think about this album, of course, you know, you think about with or without you and I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but where the streets have no name is just, a fabulous song and when i was it's doing the best that, hit best hit on the album yeah i agree with you and when they were I, when i was researching this the producer um oh, i should name the producers uh daniel lenoir and uh brian eno they said that they think that 40 percent of the time spent recording this album was spent on where the streets have no name and edge kept tinkering with it and tinkering with it and Island Records had given them a deadline. And seven hours before they were to turn the tapes over, Edge called the producer and said, we need to go back in there and change the vocals. And uh, the producer says, we're, we're, we're not coming up there. We're not doing it. And so this was apparently a song that they had just really put a lot of time into. And when you think about it, it kind of became the the architect of really kind of where their his playing w- would go in the future with how he would use you know different uh delays and um different recording techniques but that song in concert to me is a highlight of any U2 show and it's just so iconic song and that build up that build up yes uh go watch um uh U2 live in Boston or U2 uh at the Super Bowl when they played it, but you know, it's a, it's a political song. It's about uh, growing up in Ireland with the unrest between the Catholics and the Protestants. And uh, Bono said that you could tell someone's religion by what street they lived on. And his hope was that when you got to heaven, your street wouldn't matter. And so uh, very, it's just a very cool song. That's one that I never get tired of listening to. And 
you know, like you said, in concert, it's very, uh, it's kind of the emotional climax, I guess, of any U2 show. Yeah, it's, um, like I said, definitely of the hits, which again, I like all the hits on here. This is not the time where I'm going to be one of those guys that says, oh, I hate the hits, whatever. No, the hits are hits for a reason. They're really good. But this is this is my favorite one of the hits, and it's one of their best songs, period, in my opinion. Like I said, just that build-up is just, it. it's powerful. I and mean, what you said, it's, 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 um, it's, it's really emotional. It's very, it's very emotional and just a um, very positive song. The next song we're going to talk about is With or Without You. And obviously it's a love song. And when I was reading about it, um, you know, Bono got married at an early age and he's still married to the same, you know, uh, lady that he married, uh, in, I think like 1980 or so. And I think his superstardom or, or blossoming superstardom and, just the the stress of you know being in a band that's international was really wearing on their marriage and this is basically him a love letter to his wife and uh one of the better love songs i think that uh one of my favorite love songs period you know i'd always i'd heard before that that was and you're telling me stories about these songs that i i, I really didn't know which it's awesome to know that but but at the same time it's like people said before it's hey whatever a lot of artists will say they, they want it to mean what it means to you, not to them. But with or without you, I'm sure you've heard this before too, but people have thought that that was a religious song. Yeah, that's, um, I think a lot of their music, you could, you wouldn't be crazy in thinking that it was, you know, based uh, in, at least to some degree on their uh, their strong faith. That's what I thought with or without you was. Though. I thought that was a religious song. So, huh. Well, the next, the next big hit was I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, which is a religious song. Um, this was one of the, the two uh, number one um, um, songs from the album. Uh, from everything I've looking for, have been able to find, it's basically about uh, a person dealing with their spirituality and not necessarily coming to um, a strong foundation in their faith, but still wanting that to happen. When you go see them in this in concert, a lot of times they uh, they really kind of bring in a gospel element to it. And when I saw them, I, you and I saw them at the same time. When I when we saw them in concert, I thought that was one of the highlights of the show. Yeah, what's well, when I think of as far as the kind of making that spiritual type feel, though, I always think of um, Rattle and Hum, the, uh, <coughs> the the documentary, you know, concert film, whatever you call it. I mean, when they're in the church in Harlem, which is just insane. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the religious aspects of it, you know, that's another thing people, you know, I say people said, whether about you is, is a religious song. People said before that this is basically a uh, Christian album, you know, which in a lot of ways it probably is. But um, it just wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't overt and it wasn't, I mean, it was a secular album, technically. But uh, the faith was strong on this one. I have read that they almost broke the band up so that Bono could go to a seminary. I've uh, heard that before, too. Yeah. So the next song is Bullet the Blue Sky, which I think is a really good song. One of their heavier songs. It doesn't really fit the album, if you think about it. It, it does. It, it, it sticks out. And it is about, um, he went. he and his wife went on a trip to South America during the 80s. And uh, it's what he perceived as uh, America's contribution to um, 
unrest in uh, several Central American countries. A lot of times now when they play it live, he uses it to talk about gun violence and stuff like that. But sonically, you're right. It's uh, It sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I mean, it, it works. And I, like I said, I really like the album. But it just, when you think about the way, think about those first three songs before it, and then you go right after that into Run and Stand Still, Red Hill Mining. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it does really. Like you said, it does. It sticks out like a sore thumb. It's it's a it's a unique, it's a unique song and um, placement on it is unique. But I don't know if you put it at the f- first track or the last track if it makes it any, if it makes it mesh any better. Yeah, it's it's gonna stick out regardless. The next song is "Running to Stand Still," which is one of my favorite songs on the album, and it's about a couple that are uh, really struggling with a uh, heroin addiction, and. I'll be honest with you, though, um, the live versions that I've heard of the song, I actually prefer to the studio version. But anytime I get to hear it, I, lo- I love the song. I think it's one of the more, uh, one of their better songs in the catalog. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the, it's one of the uh, I'd say as far as, like, again, the, the, non, the non-singles, you know, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the stronger ones. Uh, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it up there as one of my absolute favorites because I've already said right before we got into this what my favorite ones are. But but it's still it's it's top it's in the it's in the top half. Great tune, great tune, and I love the title. It's one of the better titles of a song you'll ever hear. Yeah, it is. Well, next is Red Hill Mining Town, and this song is about a mining strike in a mining strike in Great Britain. And it was supposed to be the second single, but uh, those plans changed, and that was not the case. I know uh, we're going to put out a YouTube Spotify playlist for uh, our five favorite songs from um, these two albums, and uh, this is one that you selected for your list, Chris. Yeah, I, did, was it ever? Was did they ever try to release it as a single? Period. I, I think it may have been like the like at the at the tail end of the you know album's uh, cycle. Okay, yeah, I just I love this one. I mean, this is this is without question one of my favorite ones on here. You know, I, I'm going to go back to where the streets have no name. It's just that's just a song that's hard to it's hard to not put that as the best song on there. But man, this may come at number probably two or three for me. Red Hill Mining Town. Yeah, and it's you know it's it it's dealing with um, it's you know it's a topical song so like. Uh, uh, so many uh, songs in their catalog. The next song is In God's Country. And I'll be honest with you, Chris, this one doesn't really do a whole lot for me. So what are your thoughts on it? Well, again, not a skippable track for me. So I do think it's a good song. It is, you know, I would probably say it's between, I would say between In God's Country or Exit, as far as which one is probably my least favorite. Well, or maybe even One Tree Hill. Those three are the bottom three for me. I like all of them, though. But I do like this one. And in a way, In God's Country, I mean, it still kind of has the flow, but I would say it's the the next song that is a little bit not in tune with the rest of the album. Yeah, the next song is Trip Through Your Wires, which is one of my favorite songs on the album. And you're right, it, it doesn't... it doesn't fit in with the rest of the album. It's not necessarily in the same way that... Uh, Bullet the Blue Sky doesn't, but um, this is a love song, so to speak, or you know about somebody that's that's uh, falling on tough times, uh, love wise, 
and it was supposed to be more or less grouped with the sweetest thing. But uh, obviously they didn't go with the sweetest thing. So uh, Trip Through Your Wires was um, what made the cut. Well, I'm glad because I like it a whole lot better than the sweetest thing. I'm not a huge fan of that song. You know, that, that would, if, if, that, if that song was on this album, it would probably be my least favorite on the album. Hmm, that's interesting. Not a big fan of it. The next song is One Tree Hill, and uh, this is written for a uh, roadie that uh, worked for the band that was really close to U2 that died in an accident, and he wrote this about um, the funeral and burial of his friend in uh, New Zealand. I, okay. it, it, I, I think it's all right. It doesn't really... I don't have an opinion really one way or the other on it. Again, bottom three for the album for me. Without question, it's one of the bottom three. And, of course, the next one, Exit, fits that bottom three as well. All right, so Exit sticks out like a sore thumb when you consider the subject matter. It's basically a song about a serial killer. Um, Bono had read uh, several books dealing with um, serial killers, and uh, this song he wrote about a serial killer, I think it's a pretty good song, but... Uh, thematically, it does not fit in with the rest of the album. No, not when we're talking about it being kind of a, like I said, a spiritual type album. No, doesn't doesn't fit in. And the net, the final uh, song on the album is "Mothers of the Disappeared." And Chris, I think you put this on Great your, song. I think you put this on your list. And this again is also about um, unrest and America's uh, role in. Um, political and military upheaval in Central America. What are your thoughts on the tune? I think it's all right. I'll be honest with you, like it and uh, One Tree Hill and and God's Country, I just kind of, I'm kind of meh on them. Mothers of Disappear is probably one that, you know, as a kid and all that would never get played by me. You know, it was never going to be a top, but now one of the top on the album. I don't know what it is about it. There's just something about that song that I really, really like. So we both agree it's a it's a phenomenal record um, that they put out. Yeah, like I said, worth the hype. I mean, it's um, it's considered one of the great albums for a reason, and it's one that people always you know when you talk about great albums, it seems to it's a common one. Well, their next full studio album came out in 1991. It's called famously called Octung Baby. It sold 18 million copies, and um, Bono and the Edge really pushed for a more uh, eclectic and dance-oriented sound. The other guys in the band at the time were listening to a lot of classic rock, and so there was some tension there about the direction of the album. And Actually, the band says they almost broke up during the making of the album because they could not get... uh, uh, They just were really having a hard time with what direction they wanted to go in. And it was produced by uh, Daniel Lenoir and... um, Brian Eno as well, who did the Joshua Tree. And it's kind of weird. Initially, they didn't do too much to promote the album because they wanted people to uh, absorb the album in totality before they went out and uh, started talking about it. But um, it's, a, it's a different sound for them. And um, the subject matter is not quite as overtly serious uh, as uh, the Joshua Tree, but... Um, it, it's another album that uh, can be listened to from top to bottom, and uh, all the songs on it are good. But it really, uh, it really was a, a different change in the sound. You know, Bono was using—I mean, excuse me—the Edge was using a lot more distortion and reverb, and then they kind of had the, you know like some drum loops and 
the the drums had a different sound to them, and you could tell there was a little bit more of a electronic uh, aspect to the album. Yeah, this one, you know, when it came out, it was so different. You know, I believe I was in seventh grade when this came out, which is just crazy when I think about it like that. But, you know, when this album came out, I um, I was disappointed, disappointed in the in the change in their sound. You know, it, but that didn't last. You know, I, I I had the cassette and I ended up really liking it a lot. But when I first heard that, you know, that direction that they were going in, I mean, it just, it's like it wasn't even the same band, especially when, you know, the first, what, I mean, I know, I know you'll get to this, but wasn't the first single, was it, um, was it The Fly? I don't, I don't have that written down, so I would be lying. It, it seems like it may have been The Fly. I know it was one of the crazy, like, I think it was The Fly, and, you know, that's one of the more stranger songs on there. And, you know, you go from Where the Streets Have No Name to, fly and it's like wow this is what happened yeah. and um and you know but you know credit to them that this was one of the great shifts in sound that worked and for the most part kept their fan base probably grew their fan base and i know you just said it sold less albums but it still probably grew the fan base and now that being said it was the last great shift that they made because um i know we're not getting into what came next but it, it wasn't really a good thing um but this album it was before they got too weird with their sound and the weirdness that they brought into this it it did work and it's and the album album still holds up great today you know and to me it some people may disagree with this but to me when i put it on it doesn't sound dated you know i I guess i can i can i can i can see that and um yeah, I mean, I definitely can, especially some songs more than others. Right. Well, the opening song was Zoo Station, and this song was written about a bombing in Berlin during World War II that resulted in uh, zoo animals uh, getting loose and running over town. And it also ties in with the reunification of Germany. And that's kind of a, 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 a subject that they're going to write about. And, of course, uh, Octung Baby is a, is a reference to Germany as well. But I love Zoo Station. I think it's a great opening track. I do too, and it's. I would say Zoo Station and and the Fly. Those are definitely the ones that are the most the most out there as far as just a change in sound. But yeah, it's a it's a cool song, and it's a it's a very like you said, it's a very cool way to open the album. The next song was another hit for them, uh, even better than the real thing. This was a, a song that apparently they really had worked on a long time. And uh, they had the groove for it, and and just were were just having a hard time coming down with a, the way they wanted it to sound. But uh, this is a rocking song. I love it. I, I it's one of my favorite songs on the album. You know, I loved it when I was a kid. I don't hate it now, but and uh, I know you're gonna you're gonna hate this one when I when I say it, but. Uh, I can listen to it for sure, but I'm you know a lot of times it's going to get skipped. It's it's not one of my favorites. Wrong. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I don't know. I just it, it's it's one that like I said I loved it when I was a kid, and now it's um I definitely don't hate it, but it's not not one of my favorite songs. Well, the next song is one I, I would you'd have to put as far as popular popularity goes, one of their top three, and that's going to be the song one. And the song is about disunity 
and uh, but between people, and also it's about the reunification of Germany. And this is a song that, be honest with you, I've gotten tired of hearing. Now, I will tell you that there's a version that they did with uh, Mary J. Blige, and if you go watch them perform that, it was at a uh, ch- one of those charity, I mean, one of those uh, telethons for, I can't remember if it was for, it wasn't for 9-11, but it was for another tragedy, and also the performance she did with them at the Grammys that uh, really makes you kind of, under- to me, makes you understand more of what the song is about. It's very, very powerful, but... Uh, you know, they they named a campaign after this, the one campaign, a human rights um, um, campaign that they endorse. And uh, Warren Haynes, the government mule, does a beautiful uh, acoustic version of this. But Chris, definitely one of the top three or four as far as popularity with the general public. Yeah, and it's one that I understand what we're saying now. It kind of can get a little old. You know, it doesn't have the same lasting appeal that doesn't you know that i don't get tired of like um like with or without you but it is a it is a good song and one that i do still enjoy i just you know may not necessarily be in the mood to listen to it every day but i but it's still it is still a really good song the next song is unto the end of the world and this is admittedly one of the band's favorite songs and it's told through the eyes of uh, judas and uh it, I think it has been performed on every tour that they have done since um, since the Octung, since the uh, Zoo TV tour, which is the tour they did for this. And this is a song that's really grown on me over the years, and I love it when they play it live. Yeah, I was just about to say. Now we're getting somewhere with the album. The album's picking up now. I, uh, for me, this is kind of when the album really starts to get good. Um, don't dislike, like I said, not to. Not to dog the first three, but this is this is probably the first one that I, I really, really love on the album. The next song is "Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses," and I'll be honest with you, this is probably this is probably in my top two songs on the album. And initially, they did not want to record this and put it on the album, and uh, had to have some be persuaded by the uh, their two producers. But um, this one got a lot of airplay when it came out, but it's obvious they 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 don't really like the song because I don't think it's been played live since um, the zoo the zoo TV tour. Well, hats off to the producers for getting them on because I'm with you. Uh, you know, this is this is a great song, and I just love the way Bono's voice sounds right at that you know that first vocal. He just sounds so good. It's it's got such a it's such a passion to his voice when he comes in. I love this song. I do too, and I mean, this has got arena rock written all over it. And I love the first line too: "You're dangerous because you're honest." Yeah, that's just a cool sounding line. Yeah, that that is a. It's one of my favorites. The next one is a, a slow song called "So Cr- So Cruel," and at the time they were recording the album, the Edge and his wife were estranged, and Bono said this really weighed heavily on the band and. This is a song that he that Bono wrote about uh, what the Edge was going through with his wife. That I absolutely love. This is one of my favorite ones on here. Probably one of my favorite U2 songs. Our, our mutual buddy Shannon and I, we were talking about this a few weeks ago when we went to see Afghan Wigs, kind of how we got on the subject, I think, of talking about sad songs and all that. And I know he, he told me, you know, this one can be difficult to listen to at times. And 
man, I get it. It's uh, it's a tough song emotionally. The next song is one of my favorite songs on the album, and that's The Fly. And uh, I never really kind of understood what the song was about until I started researching it. And Bono said it's basically a guy calling from hell that likes it there. And uh, it it got kind of the name also from apparently the tensions were really high during the recording of this album. And if you remember those glasses that Bono wore during this tour, these really kind of bug-eyed glasses, he would wear those in the studio to lighten the mood. And they looked like, you know, a fly's eyes. But uh, a, a, one of my favorite songs on there and one I don't get tired of listening to. Yeah, and that I love that chorus. That, that chorus is so good. It strong, is. Strong, strong chorus. It is. The next song on there is Mysterious Ways which is one of my favorites to hear them play live, and they played it pretty much every tour. It gets the crowd going. They really had a hard time recording this. Bono said, I guess Adam Clayton came up with the bass line, and he said for a long time during the recording sessions that this was a song, this was a bass line searching for a song. And they finally um, got a riff from the edge that they liked, and they, they put the lyrics to it in uh, one of the bigger songs off the album probably the song that made me buy the album and i remember it was on the radio all the time and couldn't get enough of it and it's definitely heart go ahead it's, it's it's a crowd pleaser when they play it well now here's where you're gonna gonna not like me very much on this one i don't want to hear it really i don't want to hear it at all i i I'd flat out i gotta say it i don't like the song I loved it. Loved it as a kid. I don't like it. You know, we've talked about this before, different bands, different artists, especially some of those hair bands that we listen to, and I'm not comparing them to a hair band. Don't get me wrong, people. I'm just saying there's certain bands, things that were so good to us then that kind of like when you're a kid, you don't want to eat Brussels sprouts, and now you love them. Right. Um, you know, this, I just, I loved it as a kid, and I just it just doesn't do it for me now. Hey, to each his own. Um I still like it, but I, I know what you're talking about. I, I have that happen with uh, various artists. The next song is Trying to Throw Your Arms Around the World. Um, kind of a more mellow tune, but do, do you have any idea what the song is about, Chris? I don't. It's about a drunken night out on the town. <laughs> oh, cool. Great song, too. I'm, I'm a really big fan of this one. Yeah, and they really uh, kind of experiment with the sound. You know, there's some unique sounds on this Uh uh based you know uh, unique sounds compared to the way they recorded uh their first several albums uh this is a i love this song very uh mellow uh very mellow tune the next one though is really good and and kind of underappreciated i think at times and that's ultraviolet probably my favorite one on the album yeah when we saw them in concert they uh they had the uh, the circular kind of microphone come down from the ceiling, and it was uh, glowing, and, and Bono sang on it. And it's about love and dependency, uh, and it also has uh, religious uh, overtones. So uh, I guess that's two songs on the album, this and To the End of the World, that have some um, religious overtones. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. This is a, it's a great song, and, and I don't think uh, enough people are, are aware of it, to be honest with you. It's crazy too, you know. If, if that if that truly is the case, I mean, I've got no reason to to dispute you on that one. But if that's truly the case, uh, I, that's that's crazy to me because this song is is just brilliant. 
the next song is uh, Acrobat. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't really do a whole lot for me. Uh, I have on my research that it's about hypocrisy, alienation, and moral confusion. Another one of my favorite songs on the album, though. No, that's cool. For me. Yeah, I'm, I've always liked this one. I mean, it, it's uh, those two songs back-to-back, you know, with uh, ultra, you know, Ultraviolet and Acrobat is... It's you're getting towards a strong, strong close. Well, I think one of the things that I found interesting when researching this album was, uh, without really analyzing the lyrics all that much, I I always kind of considered this album a little more lighthearted. Now, obviously, one is a deep song, and to the end of the world is a deep song. But uh, you know, Zoo Station and uh, even better than the real thing in mysterious ways, and even the Fly. Until I found out what the song was about came across to me as a lot more uh light-hearted compared to uh previous albums well a lot of it too probably is just the upbeat nature of a lot of the songs it's probably it sounds a lot happier than if you put on the joshua tree it just wouldn't yeah i mean not even like you said not paying attention to the lyrics not knowing what the lyrics are the overall feel of the music is more uplifting yeah and the final song is a, a slower song called love is blindness chris what are your thoughts on it I like it. I think it's a good song. It's uh, it's it's not one of my favorites on there, but I I do like the song. Kind of a and I think it's and it's a cool way to end the album. Too, yeah, I yeah. think it's a good closing track. I agree. Well, that concludes um our song by song review of each album. Um, Chris, I feel like with the Joshua Tree and Octung Baby after that, uh, I feel like they really lost their way until uh, 2001 when they put out um, All That You Can't Leave Behind. Uh, yeah, that's the one where they're all standing on the covers, black and white, correct? Right. Yeah, and I um, that was, you know, that may have been the last album I bought of theirs, cause I, I did, and I did really, really like that album, and I agree with you. Great songs on it. it I almost feel like between Octoon Baby and that album is... Uh, it's not a great period for him, and then I believe that, and then for me anyway, after that album, what'd you say the name of it is again? All oh, you can't leave behind. Right. That after that album, they kind of they lost me for a second time. Yeah, but they and, did. They they did bring me back. Most bands, when they lose me, they can't bring me back, and they did it. Yeah, I remember when they won. I think the Grammy, a Grammy for that album. Bono said, uh, kind of made fun of the fact that they lost their way. He said something like, um, um, we heard there's an application out there to be the greatest rock band in the world. And he said, we're here to apply. And they, they definitely did on that album, but you know, pop Mart and, um, Oh, uh, Zuropa. Those are just kind of all over the place. And I feel like, you know, we talk about artists feeling like they have some creative capital. I guess they thought they had built that up with Octung baby and, um, um, Joshua Tree, but man, they uh, they spin it pretty quick, if you ask me. And there's still some really good songs on those two albums. You know, it, it, just as a whole, they're they're not. I'm not a big fan of them, but there there are good songs on there. I, I think Numb is just a super super cool song, and uh, The Wander with Johnny Cash is just yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good one. So, uh, Chris, uh, won't you tell everybody which album you prefer? Well, I think people can already figure it out. I'm going to go with the Joshua Tree, but. It's not anything, you know, it's not that I dislike Octoon Baby because that would be, that's so far from my feelings of it that it's not a good album. I think it is a very, very good album. 
Um, I'm a big fan of Octoon Baby. I just, to me, when I try to decide which one is the better album for me, if I got an album that I said does not have a skippable track, then to me that's got to be that's got to be the winner because even though I said even better than the real thing is not I'm not a huge fan. I don't dislike the song. It's just I'm not a huge fan of it, and I could probably sometimes you know take it or leave it, but I've got to skip mysterious ways. <laughs> Pretty much every time I put on the album, I have to skip it. There's nothing to skip on Joshua Tree, so. It's my winner. So Chris is going to go with the Joshua Tree, and uh, by nose, I'm going to pick uh, Octung Baby, uh, just because I like the instrumentation on it better. Uh, I love that sound that they that they were able to get for that one album. I think it's kind of a unique sound. With that said, the Joshua Tree has its own unique sound too, and it's it's a I'm not taking anything away from it. I mean. If one of them's one, you know, one A and one B, they're both very, very good albums. Just for me, I find myself now if I listen to the Joshua Tree, mainly listening to the first five songs, and on Octung Baby, I find myself listening to, you know, the majority of of the songs on the album. But two just huge albums. I, I would have loved to have put out just one of them. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, how many bands can? When you talk about the great albums, they have two on that list. Most bands don't get that. I mean, it, well, of course, most bands don't get one. But the bands that do get one, that's really considered one of the great albums of all time, there's usually not a number two. And they've got, they have, you two managed to put two of them out there. I know, think about it. Uh, Fleetwood Mac Rumors, they never match that success again. No, and, and there's, there's a lot of bands, you know, I mean, a lot of them. I mean, we think of some of the great albums, and you think of, yeah, I don't know why. Just of all bands, this is what comes up. But Boston, you know, and that that self-titled they put out, one of the biggest sellers, one of the great rock albums. But they didn't do. They didn't put out another just killer, killer album. And that's that's not unique to to Boston. That's not unique with Fleetwood Mac putting out rumors. It's the norm. If you're lucky enough to get one good album, that's key word one. Right. But they they did it twice. Did it twice, and that all you can't leave behind was a very successful album as well. And it was very successful. And those, are, those, uh, I mean, Unforgettable Fire and um, and uh, War. Those are both really, really good records. Well, really I, good records. And I don't have it in front of me, but I believe when I was researching all this that I saw that um, Rattle and Hum sold fourteen million albums, and that's kind of looked upon as a bad album now. You know, and, and and it's funny, Shannon and I were talking about that, that time when we were down for the Afghan Wigs recently, we were talking about that album and how it, um, I think a lot of times the reason it's overlooked, and this is, this is my opinion anyway, is because it's not looked at as an album at all, because it was, it was just kind of a mixture of stuff, had some live songs on it, um, it's not really a cohesive album, and it was something that was put out, you know, with that concert film, but... Yeah, you're right. Rattle and Hum has really good songs, and some of the the singles on it that you know, Angel of Harlem is. I mean, that, that's up there for me as far as great U2 songs. Oh, I'm glad you I'm glad you said that because I often feel like I'm in the minority on that. That's one of my top five U2 songs. That's a great song. And it's also, we talk. And also love talk, uh, All I Want Is You. That's a yes, phenomenal song. I, I think Desire is a really good song, and then one of the best. Of course, we already talked about on the the sad songs one, but. You know, love rescue me, but then um, 
Van Diemen's Land. Good that's, song. Uh, that's a good... Was it Hawk Moon 269? Is that what it is? I think so. That I mean, all these songs, they're great, great songs. So, yeah, it's just... It's fun, and I'm glad you mentioned that mention Rattle and Hum because, whereas I said, a lot of people don't look at it as an obvious album. I'm the perfect example. I didn't bring it up, but I would probably listen to that album over Unforgettable Fire. I would too. I'd probably listen to it over um, over War, but it, again, it just doesn't necessarily feel like a true album. Right, it kind of feels like a hodgepodge of things. Yeah, and I think that's more or less what it is. I don't think it really was a true album for them. No, I, I don't either. Well, Chris, I've enjoyed this. This is uh, this has been fun. We will, uh, I'm sure, we're going to do this in the future with uh, uh, other bands. Uh, we may not necessarily be able to find too many more that have two albums that sold this well, but uh, it was uh, it was a good time. I, I do want to ask everybody to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed. At uh, SoundCloud or iTunes at Digital Kill the Radio Star. Like us on Facebook. If you get a chance, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. That would greatly help us. We uh, we have more big things on the horizon. And I uh, want to thank everybody for uh, listening. We've had a lot of new listeners the last couple of weeks. And uh, we really appreciate you listening. And if you have any ideas for uh, a future podcast episode, uh, send us a tweet or leave us a message on Facebook. And uh, like I said, Chris and I will be attending the uh, Rock 103 uh, 40th anniversary party this weekend, and we're going to have plenty of stuff to talk to you about next week. So uh, thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week.